are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good Tuesday show for you. We're going to talk about the Washington Commanders under new management and how bad they were when Daniel Snyder owned the team. We're going to talk about the Tampa Bay Rays, who were once the best team in baseball and now are the second best team in their own division. It's crazy what the month of July did to the Tampa Bay Rays. There's a Blue Bloods matchup that has been signed in college basketball, a home-and-home series. Looking forward to that. We'll talk about that. Brian Harmon, your British Open winner. We talked about that a little bit yesterday, but I had no idea he became a putting whiz over the weekend at Hoylake for four straight days. And it pretty much confirms what I've told you all along about winning a tournament, whether it's a major or any tournament in golf. And Paul Silas, the former head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, rest in peace, who was LeBron's head coach for the Cavs in LeBron's rookie year, had a very interesting quote that's been brought to the forefront that J.J. Redick dug up and talked about on his podcast, and we will talk about that. So in case you didn't know, the Washington Commanders have new ownership. Josh Harris is his name. Magic Johnson has a small partnership in this as well. But Daniel Snyder was forced to sell the team because basically he's a piece of trash. And there's so many things, there's so many you know lawsuits and all that stuff that you can read about in regards to why Daniel Snyder was forced to sell the team. If you're interested, go read it all. But I'm not going to hear to cover that. What I am here to cover is how piss poor of an owner Daniel Snyder was outside of his mishandling of money, sexually harassing women, outside of all that stuff, which is all part of the lawsuits that you can read about. Let's talk about when Daniel Snyder was the owner of the Redskins slash commanders, how bad they were and how inept they were as an organization. Daniel Snyder owned the Washington Redskins slash commanders for 24 years. In those 24 years, they were 60 games under 500. They were 166 and 226. That's terrible. They had six playoff appearances in 24 years. Well, if I do my math, owned it for 24 years, made the playoffs six times, that's exactly 25%. Once every four years when he was the owner, they made the playoffs on average. And in those six playoff appearances, they had two playoff wins. You talk about a franchise that is just absolutely yearning for something new. Man, Commander fans, I knew it was bad. I did not know it was this bad. Two playoff wins in 24 years? Two? <laughs> I mean, the Cowboys are only sitting at, I believe, I don't know, five? The Cowboys have, I think... Now, overall playoff win since their last Super Bowl title. I believe it's five. It may be six. It's not very much. Seven tops, which is embarrassing because their last Super Bowl title was 95, 96. I always, I always forget when the NFL says you're 96 Super Bowl champions – is that the 95-96 season or the 96-97 season? I, that always screws me up. Always. And, I, and, I, and I, thinking off the top of my head right now, I still don't know the answer. 
But, you know, the last Cowboys Super Bowl win was when they beat the Steelers and Barry Switzer was the coach. We know that. That was either the 94-95 season or the 95-96 season. Whatever the case, it's 2023. Since then, the Cowboys haven't won more than, I think, seven playoff games. They've been terrible. So, and also during that time, let's not forget, the Dallas Cowboys haven't even gotten to an NFC Championship game since their last Super Bowl win. Think about that. To get to an NFC Championship game, if you win your division and you're not one of the top two seeds, remember, for the most of the time, outside of the last two years, it was top two seeds get a bye. So all you have to do is win one game in the playoffs before the current playoffs system. One game, and you're in the championship game, whether AFC or NFC. For the Cowboys, obviously, NFC. Two times, they were the one seed. So not only did they have a chance to get to the NFC championship game, all they had to do was win a home game, and they couldn't do that. It's unreal. I think it's the it's the Cowboys and I think the Lions who are the only two teams to not get to an NFC Championship game in the last 25 years. I know the Cowboys haven't since their last Super Bowl. That's easy to know. Lions might have gotten there once back in like 90s, but yeah, this is a, uh, and, and I hate to turn this into a cowboy bashing, but it's it's not bashing. It's just facts. This is what it is. They've barely, they haven't won many playoff games since 1995. And they certainly have not gotten to an NFC Championship game. And two of those times, they were the number one seed and lost at home. So getting back to the commanders, it's still embarrassing to have an owner for 24 years who did absolutely nothing. Because that's just not, oh, Steve, small sample size. No, he owned the Washington football franchise for almost a quarter of a century, one year away from a quarter of a century. That's plenty of time to get your shit in order. That's plenty of time to just one year strike gold, just get lucky. Everyone else in the division sucks. You have a good playoff run. He couldn't even do that. And look, I know Dan Snyder doesn't play, but come on embarrassing 60 games under 500 six total playoff appearances two playoff wins in 24 years i'm sure commander fans you are thrilled to death that guy is gonzo all right now moving on to baseball remember when the tampa bay rays started the season 13 and 0 and remember when they were just rolling through the al east hell do you remember back three and a half weeks ago when July 1st rolled around, the Tampa Bay Rays were 57 and 28. They were 29 games over 500 and they had a 6-game lead over the Baltimore Orioles for second if, uh, Orioles were in second place. The Orioles were 48 and 32. So actually it was six and a half game lead, not 6. So on July 1st, Tampa Bay 29 games over 500. Six-and-a-half game lead over Baltimore. Since then, Baltimore is, in the month of July, 13-6, and six, and Tampa Bay is 4-14. Four and 14. Baltimore now has a two-game lead over Tampa Bay in the AL East. What the hell happened to the Rays? 4-14 and 14 this month. I mean, look, to blow a six-and-a-half game lead, 
that usually takes some time. Not three and a half weeks. They're going to be out of first place by the end of the month when they had a six and a half game lead going in. I know their offense is certainly struggling. They are just not hitting the ball like they were. Baltimore is hitting the ball great. They've got a shutdown closer in Batista. I just, ah, man, I, I didn't. I mean, I didn't know what the odds were at the beginning of the year for Baltimore. I don't think anybody expected them. I mean, look, they played well last year. They completely exceeded expectations. They're like baseball's version going into this year, kind of of the Detroit Lions. Ended the season playing really well last year. I believe they finished over 500 last year. But I still don't think anybody thought they were going to be better than the Blue Jays. They were going to be better than the Rays. They were going to be better than the Yankees or the Red Sox. And right now, they are. They are the top dog in the AL East. And doing it with good pitching, good hitting, not great, but does it matter? (laughs) All that matters is you get to that playoffs. We've talked about baseball playoffs over and over and over again. How, to me, it is kind of a crapshoot. Just get yourself in there and anything can happen, especially in that first round where it's three out of five. Every team in baseball, numerous times during a 162-game season, lost three out of five games. So the timing of it, it just you can't let it happen come playoff time. But it's not like somebody has to beat you, I don't know, 11 out of 20, you know? It's a five-game series in that first round. Now, in baseball, we know the first two seeds of division winners, the two division winners with the best record get buys now, so they're only playing seven-game series. But that first round, three out of five, man, anybody can get beat. Dodgers got beat last year. What they win? 100 and whatever games, 110 last year? Braves, they got beat in the first round last year. I mean... <laughs> They got beat by the Phillies. Dodgers got beat by the Padres. Two teams that they played and dominated during the regular season. That's why. It's five-game series. Anybody can go two and three in over a five-game stretch. It happened numerous times to every playoff team. That's why. Crapshoot to me. All right. This was announced yesterday. The Battle of the Blue Bloods. Kansas and North Carolina announced yesterday a two-game home-and-home series beginning in 2024. Next year, the first game is going to take place in Lawrence, Kansas. This is college basketball, by the way. Uh, November 8th, 2024 in Lawrence, Kansas. And then North Carolina in November 14th of 2025 is going to host Kansas, which is great. And it's the one thing I like about college basketball is that you always have great non-conference matchups. Now, those matchups are more for resume building. And the teams that use, you know, those non-conference games happen in November and December and Does it really mean all that much towards the end of the season? Probably not, because you're a different team come March than you are in November and December. Sometimes you might peak early and be really good in November and December and then kind of peter out when you get to conference play and you're not hitting on all cylinders when you get to the tournament. So while it's great, I mean, I'm going to watch both of those games when they happen. It doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot, but it just goes to my point about college basketball has Great non-conference matchups. In college football, most teams only have three non-conference games, and two of them are usually patsies. Two of them are people that you schedule that you know you can pummel, and then there's be one that's somewhat tough. Some teams will schedule somebody that's top 10, and I, and I like that. 
But college basketball, you always get good non-conference matchups because you play 13 to 15 non-conference games, you know? And so I like this. I like we, – we need more of this. Every year, Gonzaga, they always play a tough non-conference schedule because they have to. They have to load up on playing in these tournaments, whether it's the Battle of Atlantis or playing non-conference games, whether it's home or road or on an aircraft carrier like they did last year against Michigan State. They have to play these games because we all know Gonzaga plays in the WCC, which is not a strong conference. They dominate it every year. They pretty much win it every year and usually go 17-1, 18-0, at worst. Their conference just doesn't challenge them, so they need to get their tough games out of the way early. And that's what they try and do. And I love that about Gonzaga. I hope they keep doing it. I'm sure they will. They do it every year. But that's what I love about college basketball because you have so many non-conference games. When you have 13, 14, even 15 of them sometimes, it's you can get your patsies in there and you can have six or eight patsies where you know you're going to go 8-0, but give yourself some tough games. Give yourself three or four to challenge you before conference play. So I love this, that this is going to happen between Kansas and North Carolina starting next year. We talked about the British Open and Brian Harmon being the winner, winning by six strokes, and wasn't even close on the final day. The closest anyone got was three strokes, and that was when Harmon had birdied two, uh, bogeyed two of the first five holes. He got down to minus 10, and then second place was at seven. But it never got any closer than that, and then he pulled away on the back nine. Did you see the putting statistic that's been going around? Brian Harmon was 58 of 59 on putts 10 feet and under for the four days. And he never had a three putt. What have I told you nonstop when it comes to golf? Every single one of these guys, for the most part, can bomb it off the tee. Every single one of these guys knows how to hit an iron. Every single week in golf, it comes down to how good was your putter for those four days. That's all it is. It's not like somebody is so much better at hitting their irons or hitting their drivers. They're all professionals. They all can do it. All it comes down to is putting every week. Because even if you're hitting your irons better than other people and you're and you're getting on the green in regulation, you know, 14 out of 18 holes, a lot of it is, okay, great, but what's your distance, your average distance when you're on the green in regulation? If you're putting it on the green in regulation 14 out of 18 holes, but you're 20 feet away every time, okay, that's not probably going to help you. You're probably going to two-putt a bunch of greens. You're not going to hit many 20-footers. So Harmon hitting 58 of 59, 10 feet and under, that's crazy. Now, you might say, you know, how did he do that? Well, here's the thing. I believe he only had about eight or nine putts that were of eight to 10 feet, but he still went eight. If he had nine, he made eight of nine. If he had eight, he made seven of eight. So basically what Harmon was doing was putting his shots on the green, considering he never three-putted, he was getting on the green in regulation just outside of 10 feet, but his lag putting was great because when I say he hit 58 of 59 putts inside of 10 feet for the four days, if he had a 12-foot putt and left it an inch short, that inch counts as one of those 58. So what it shows is the fact that, remember I said, I believe he only had eight or nine putts that were of the 8 to 10-foot range, and he only missed one of them. 
So basically what this guy was doing was every putt outside of 10 feet, he would put close enough to the hole where he never missed after that. Didn't miss all weekend after he had a putt outside of 10 feet. I mean, that was crazy to have that statistic. And that's why you win by six strokes. You can listen to anybody, any golf expert, whatever the case may be, any statistics that people throw at you when it comes to handicapping a major or handicapping a golf event. The bottom line is you do not know who's going to putt the best over four days because you can putt great, but if you don't, and putting great can help you if you're not hitting the ball well. So that's what it comes down to. Tournament winning, major winning, you look at all the past major winners, you're going to find that most of them were in the top five or top ten putting for the week. Doesn't mean you were the best. Just means that you were up there. You cannot win a golf tournament finishing middle of the pack and putting for the week. It just doesn't happen. So um, that's a huge number. 58 out of 59 inside of 10 feet. That just doesn't happen very often. And no three putts over four days. Congratulations to him. And finally, J.J. Redick on his podcast, Old Man and the Three, which is, I think, one of the best sports podcasts out there. You know, behind the Sports Daily, of course. He was reading a quote yesterday in regards to something Paul Silas said years ago. Actually, I don't know when. The, actually, you know what? I don't know when the quote was said. So I take that back. But unfortunately, Paul Silas died. So clearly, it was years ago. But Paul Silas said this in regards to LeBron's rookie year. And I'm only reading this because this is about LeBron's rookie year with the Cleveland Cavaliers. He was talking about the fact that LeBron's teammates hated him. And he said, quote, their egos wouldn't allow it. I kept telling them you have to you have a chance to help one of the game's future stars, but they wouldn't embrace him. If it bothered LeBron, he never let on. We won 35 games that year because of him. He's had some outstanding seasons since then, but that first one may have been the most impressive because how he excelled in spite of the jealousy on his own team. I don't remember what the Cleveland Cavaliers win total was back in 2023 or uh, in 2003. But I guarantee it went over. I know, you know, LeBron being the number one pick, it was probably in the mid-20s. There's no way it was over 35. And I remember that team because I watched LeBron a lot in 2003 because he was this phenom that came into the league, and I was just like, I just want to see what it's all about. That, the team he had around him was garbage, and he got them to 35 wins. And to hear Paul Silas say that, that's crazy to think about that the egos of NBA players could not accept the fact that an 18-year-old kid, one, was being anointed as the next great one, which he has lived up to, something we've talked about numerous times, and two, was the best player on their team at 18 years old. Because if you watched that team, you know it wasn't even close. He was so far and away the best player on that team as a high school kid, you know, a kid fresh out of high school. And to hear Paul Silas say that quote, teammates couldn't embrace him. And if it bothered LeBron, he didn't let it on. But everybody was jealous of him on that team. Kind of goes to show that the NBA is not the most forgiving place and the forgiving sport, <laughs> to say the least, when LeBron is getting literally 
shut down by teammates and shunned by teammates just because of who he was. Look, I get it. They're NBA vets. They they want their time in the spotlight. They want to get paid. And here comes this 18-year-old kid who's being anointed before he ever steps foot on the floor. Maybe, maybe I can understand it during training camp. I can understand it during the very early part of the season. But once he established he was that best player on that team early on in the season, you would think the players would have been like, shit, we need to get over this. He's our best guy we got. We're not even supposed to be any good, and shit, they won 35 games. So, you know, another thing, another notch on LeBron's belt, if if, if that's what you want to call it. But uh, great that J.J. pulled that quote out because I had never heard that quote. And I don't even know where he got it from. I know the author of whatever the piece came from was from Jackie McMullen, longtime NBA writer. But that is crazy to think that his teammates hated him that much just because of who he was. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. Please follow an Apple podcast. Please also rate and review if you can. Leave a nice review. Appreciate it. Pass it along to your friends. That always helps the podcast. The more and more that listen to this podcast, the bigger we can make it. So, Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you.